In college, I worked at Bath & Body Works. Here's a secret about that place. Something is always on sale. I knew what the best sales were to wait for, uh, and I knew never to buy hand soap at full price, which I think still stands. One time I was working at the cash register, and this happened almost 15 years ago, but it just boggled my mind so much that I still remember it really clearly. Um, body wash was buy one, get one free. And this woman came to the counter with just one body wash. I told her, you know, um, those are buy one, get one free. And she stubbornly said, I don't want anything else. I just want this one. I said, you can literally go grab another body wash and it will be the exact same price as if you just bought one, except you get the other one for free. And she still angrily refused, convinced I was doing this for my own sales metrics or something and not just trying to offer her something she already earned and deserved. Today's gospel reading is on the parable of the talents, another story filled with skepticism. So let's start by reading the NIV version of Matthew 25, 14 to 29. For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability, and then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you have handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave! You knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the ten talents, for to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. Now there's a lot going on here, so let me recap. Um, a master is leaving for a while and distributes his talents, which is kind of like gold bars, and similarly, one would be worth a lot of money. Uh, one got five talents, one got two, and one only got one talent because he distributed it, and I quote, according to his ability. Again, one talent is very valuable, but this wasn't a ten-talent kind of guy. In fact, one is the fewest number of talents you can get, according to math. The first two, who got five and two talents respectively, go out and trade and increase the number of talents they were given. So they turn all that over to the master when he returns. The third, who got one talent, literally buries it in the ground because he's afraid he will lose it. And according to math, he doesn't have any talents to spare. So I kind of get it. Uh, that's high risk. 
When the first two show the master what they've done, he tells them each, you've been good and trustworthy with few things, so now I will trust you with many things, enter into the joy of your master. But the third explains his reasons for burying the talent and only digging it up to return to the master. I knew that you were a harsh man and you reap what you did not sow, so I was afraid. The master's furious, calls him wicked and lazy and gives that guy's one talent to the original five talent guy because he knows that guy will put it to use. What on earth are we supposed to get from this story? Now, I wanna focus on the one talent man. Why did he do what he did? Um, first of all, I think there was fear of the master. He calls him a harsh man, says he was afraid. Fear of failing. What if he tries but doesn't increase the talent? And if he doesn't try, he has an excuse for not succeeding. And maybe resentment. He's not exactly hiding his feelings about the master here. Let's talk about what he said about the master reaping what he has not sown. Here's the exact quote that Mr. One Talent said to the master's face. Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. The scattering of seed is sowing a garden that could take months to grow, and then reaping is actually picking the crops, which is where you get the value from it. If the master reaps where he did not sow and gathers where he did not scatter seed, it would seem that he's essentially ripping off the person who sowed the field. Is this what he expected the servant to do in his absence? Ani DeFranco has a song where she says, up, 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 points the spire of the steeple. But God's work isn't done by God, it's done by people. Is that a ripoff? If someone in our day and age was said to reap what they did not sow, it could easily be thought of as a bad thing, taking advantage of other people's hard work, which seems exploitative. But the idea of reaping what another sows is also found in the Gospel of John chapter 4. Jesus has just finished speaking with a Samaritan woman at a well, influencing her so much that she runs home and starts telling people who Jesus is. The disciple, seeing him return, asks him if he wants something to eat at the end of a long day. Jesus replies, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. So the problem in today's reading from Matthew isn't reaping what someone else has sown. Jesus tells us, sower and reaper are glad together. What is sown is not only a benefit for the person who reaps it, but it is like Jesus said, a crop for eternal life and everyone benefits. Our job is not to be afraid to sow what we will not reap, but also not to be afraid of the reaping. Jesus and John is reaping what others, the prophets, John the Baptist, for example, had planted seeds for, the coming Messiah in Jesus Christ. But Jesus is also sowing something he will not see come to fruition during his earthly life, the preparation for the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus knows is that he'll have to eventually, in not that long, leave the disciples and entrust the future of the kingdom to them. What's interesting in the parable of the talents is what the master had expected from the servants. He gave them talents according to their ability, meaning he expected them to behave as he would and thus do the work for him while he was gone, as if he was here. What made the third servant nervous was 
he knew that the master's work meant reaping what he had not sown. How do you know when the fields are ready? Or do you just tend to them and see what comes off the branches? When I offered the woman at Bath and Body Works a second completely free body wash, she was not ready to accept something that was already hers. Did she go home and realize that she turned down a second completely free body wash out of pride or fear? And if so, maybe next time she'll be ready to accept what's already hers. In that instance, it was body wash. In the kingdom of heaven, it's the grace of God. Jesus has died, he has risen, and he reigns. And now that he sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven, our master has gone away and we are given talents to do the work as he would do if he were here, to talk to Samaritan women at the well, to feed the hungry, to visit prisoners, to dine with sinners, to reap what Jesus began or what other Christians began, and to sow what other people will one day see come to fruition in their homes or in their churches. People are skeptical of grace, but we as followers of Jesus are not offering them grace. We are only making them aware of a gift that is already theirs that they can rest in and find freedom in. I went to PetSmart yesterday to pick up some nail clippers for our three dogs, who you can probably hear around me as I'm preaching. Um, and I saw some big dog treats by the checkout. So I grabbed three, one for each dog. As I laid my items on the counter to check out, the cashier said, you know, these are buy three, get one free. You can grab another and it'll be totally free and there's no reason not to. She said it almost exaggerated and quickly, like she was used to people grumpily refusing on principle or out of skepticism, but I was ready for this moment. I grabbed a fourth and put it on the counter as she continued to explain why this was a good deal for me and there was no reason to turn it down extremely apologetically. I want to encourage you this week to do the work that Jesus would. And if you're not someone who's comfortable with Jesus yet, consider that God's grace is a freedom and not a burden, not a trick. We don't have a harsh master just because he reaps what others have sown. But as Jesus said in John, sower and reaper both will benefit from the crop of eternal life.